Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There was one point there in my, in my childhood where I remember saying to her, I was only young, and I said, I know that my brother is your favorite. And she turned around and said to me, yes, he is. He is my favorite. And I remember feeling so hurt by that. But I did say to her, I remember one time you told me that, you know, Mark, my brother was, was your favorite. And she says, I don't remember saying that at all. And I feel like there was an opportunity for her to acknowledge that and say, I'm sorry. It didn't happen. So therefore, I felt like I don't want to have this conversation where I'm unloading all of this grief and to make her feel bad because the last thing I wanted to do was to make her feel bad. But I did want to feel validated at the same time. Like, okay, you're feeling these feelings. It's okay. I'm sorry that I did that to you or made you feel that way. It was very much she was still the victim. Oh, I don't remember saying that. And Mm. it completely invalidated everything that I felt. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand 
What makes you, you? What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey beautiful souls, thank you so much for joining me. This week is all about the mother wound, the deep, deep wound that we hold within us from the relationship that we might have had with our mothers. That wound can be passed down through generations of women who are unheard, unseen and unloved because they're all coping in the best way that they can with the wound inflicted by their mother whilst then passing it on to their own daughter. And as I'm listening to Bianca's story unfold this week, there is such a sadness around this wound held deeply within her from a mother who herself had a terribly sad and lonely childhood. Bianca said to her mum one day, I know my brother is your favourite. And her mother said, yes, yes, he is my favourite. Those words can never be taken back. Those words are designed to cut deep because the mother herself was cut so deep. And the mother wound is another piece in the cycle of families that we now in this new age of awareness can decide to change. We can decide to create new pathways. We can decide to create new ways of mothering. And that's exactly what Bianca is doing now with her beautiful daughter. She's taking what happened to her and the learnings of that and doing her very best to change things for the next generations. Please join me in hearing Bianca's story. Tell me about Bianca at age five. What was she like? Well, (laughs) okay, age five. So I was a new sister. I I have a younger brother who's four years younger than me. And I think my earliest memories, I think I was just very maternal from that age. Yeah, I, th- I think I was just very excited to have a brother um, and sort of someone that I could mother, I guess, from that age. It was, uh, it was very exciting time for me. That also brought about a lot of the issues, I would say, that I had with my with my mother around that time. My uh, brother's birth was, my mother's pregnancies actually were very traumatic after she had me. Between my brother and myself, she had a few miscarriages. And after my brother was born, she had quite a lot of medical issues. She was diagnosed with endometriosis. So unfortunately had to have a hysterectomy after my brother was born. And um, I think that really played a lot of havoc with her emotionally. But whilst my brother was born, she he was born in a, I think it was a public hospital and there was a lady next to her in the same ward 
who had a baby born the same day as my brother. And um, because they were in the hospital for a little while together, my mum called this lady after a week just to see how everything was going. And she found out that the baby passed away from SIDS. So that, yeah, so that I think really hit home for my mum and she became super overprotective of my brother to the point where that became a habit and then that habit sort of just morphed into a personality trait of hers because she was so terrified that something was going to happen to him that it turned into yeah this just crazy personality sort of I wouldn't say flaw but uh, something that was never acknowledged and not something that she sort of ever worked through with that and it sort of just shaped from then on mine and my brother's life in a completely different way I would I often say that my brother and I had different parents growing up even though we had the same parents uh, because we were both treated differently from the same set of parents so yeah it was it was quite weird <laughs> yeah wow so that's interesting isn't it so what sort of age or how early were you really aware that there was a difference in the way you were being treated uh, I would say not too long after that, perhaps seven or eight. So a couple of years afterwards, I, and it wasn't until after I sort of made myself aware, I guess, of, of her behaviours that I realised that there was something not right. And I come from an ethnic family on both sides. So there are a lot of cultural differences there so the grandparents are very involved in the you know the kids lives not so much the grandkids but mainly their kids so my grandparents my grandmother I was very involved in my mother's life there was a lot of approval and disapproval there were also and still are a lot of secrets that are held back from family members And I learned at a young age that there were certain things that we told grandma, like nonna, and then there were certain things that we didn't tell nonna. So, and a lot of that was to do with mental health. So if mum was struggling, we don't tell nonna because then nonna will overreact and, you know, it's the Catholic guilt and it's the, (laughs) it's just too much drama that no one else in the family can really Like no one has the mental fortitude to deal with that sort of drama as well as whatever we've got going on ourselves sort of thing. So we we say in our family, you know, that the women in our family aren't happy unless they've got a drama with someone. So (laughs) that's very much... That's very much our family. And a lot of other people that I've spoken to that have ethnic families, they're the same. So (laughs) it's, it's quite a... It's quite an interesting uh, family dynamic that we've got going on for sure. Yeah, that's interesting because I guess I always felt like when I see those Italian or Greek families, is that what you're referring to, Italian Italian, Greek? They always seem so close and the family gatherings, I just assumed that everybody would be in on the secrets, but you're saying that it was very much just contained to your nuclear family. 
Pretty much, yes. I mean, everyone knew everyone else's business and everyone gossips like it's no one else's business. Like, um, it's not uncommon for Nonna to call my auntie, my mum's sister, and tell her all the things that I've been up to and how she disapproves and, and blah, 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 and then vice versa. And, like, everyone's all up in the business. But when it comes to... When it comes to mental health or it could be even triggers that that have happened in the family so my grandmother for example uh is twice divorced both were very abusive relationships my mother and father are divorced not an abusive relationship however the divorce was a trigger because my nonna is a devout catholic it's frowned upon even though she is <laughs> twice divorced it's it's uh seen as a failure not seen as a sign of growth which i've come to see divorce as a sign of growth rather as a failure it's it's very pessimistic actually that whole thing so with nonna being twice divorced and both having abusive relationships divorce in general was just a huge trigger because of course it's oh i failed my daughter because i've had abusive relationships myself this is what i've passed on etc 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 it's very much oh it's me it's me it's me it's me i've done this to you you know so yeah (laughs) well it's interesting that she sort of had the awareness to feel that she'd passed it on as well like some people wouldn't even have that sort of awareness from that generation i mean that's it's not implicitly said it's not like you know fully acknowledged but from what I, from what I'm gathering when I talk, because we don't talk about this sort of stuff in the family, we don't. This is what I perceive is coming out of this. This is this is what I perceive. It's still very much, uh, very you know, all about me and self-absorbed behaviour coming from them. But yeah, <laughs> sometimes you just have to let it uh, let it be what it is, and um, let them let them have that because it, they're either unwilling or unable to to change or want to. You know. Yeah, and so what about your dad when you were a, a small child? How was what was he like as a dad? Yeah, so he worked away a lot actually. Uh, very hard worker, very strong work ethic away a lot and I had quite a volatile relationship with my mum so my dad was my refuge however he wasn't hardly home always working to better the life for our family to you know to ensure that mum was able to stay at home and 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 be a stay-at-home mum and not have to work and you know make sure that my brother and I had clothes and food they weren't rich by any means but uh, my dad was very much a hard worker and I was very much a daddy's girl and he relished that I felt like my mum would play favorites with my brother and my dad would play favorites with me which just annoyed my mother to no end so when I think back I think that perhaps there was some jealousy there on mine and mum's behalf to have dad's attention and I believe that is probably what has, you know, what contributed to our relationship that mum and I had together and also the eventual breakdown of the relationship that her and dad had. Wow, okay. Yeah. And so how did that play out then with, so you started off with your 
yourself and your brother at a young age. How does that relationship with your mum play out over time? Yeah, I was in trouble for pretty much anything and everything. It was quite stressful um, to the point where some days I wouldn't know whether it was going to be a good day with her or whether it was going to be a bad day, depending on sort of what mood she was in or, you know, what kind of kid I was that day. I, you know, I'm definitely... I take responsibility for my behavior. I wasn't an angel by any means, but I also don't believe that I was bad and that bad that the types of punishments I received were valid. So, you know, my mum was very much a fan of corporal punishment. It was, you know, you get a smack across the mouth if you were disrespectful or she wouldn't hesitate in giving you a hiding in public if you were embarrassing or, uh, you know, you, you embarrassed her in any way. And, uh, she, you know, she was quite cutting with her words. And that grew up with me, you know, until her and my father divorced. So it was very much... Uh, you know, I, I remember times where I was quite good at school um, and I'm not sure something would happen at home or I, I'm not quite sure of the scenario, but I do remember a line she used to say to me, which was, you know, how can somebody so smart be so dumb? And, you know, and that could be with anything like, oh, can you show me how to work the washing machine or you know, other, other minor things, but, you know, it was very much made to feel like I'm book smart, but I'm just not practical smart and I wouldn't ever be practical smart. And I just need to rely on the books to get me through life, which wasn't great because I feel like around that time, I was really trying to develop who I was as a person and, and what I wanted to be when I was older. And I feel like even now, like, I'm only just starting to get there, to get rid of all of those old mental blocks that I have about me feeling dumb and really just trying to get back any sort of magic that I sort of suppressed at, at that young age, you know? Yes, because you just start believing that's who you are, don't you, when somebody tells you that every day? That's right. And it's sort of easier to just be like, oh, I don't know how to do this. So, I, you know, I'll, I just won't do it. And... Uh, you know, I've missed out on a lot of opportunities be, because of those feelings that I've had. Yeah, interesting. And was your mum, was the relationship your mum had with her mother similar? Was her mother quite abusive in that way as well? It's not told whether my grandmother was abusive. We don't talk about it, but I do know that both her biological father and her stepfather were very abusive to my mum, physically, emotionally, verbally. She, so my grandmother had another child 13 years later, my auntie. And my mum and my auntie were fairly close, even though they were 13 years apart. But my auntie's father adopted my mum and just treated her awfully. So he would take they would go to the shopping centre. They lived in Melbourne. They would go to the shopping centre and he would leave her behind at the shopping centre on purpose and would just beat her and 
they got to a point where they were going on a family vacation to Italy and my mother wasn't invited and, and wasn't expected of her to go. So she had to stay at home with her grandparents in Melbourne while the family had a wonderful holiday overseas. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> so hard, isn't it? It's very hard. That's really hard. And then I guess she has so much anger and resentment and then she has you and I guess it's still all there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. My mum married my dad when she was 19 and my, my grandmother has told me on several occasions that she approved it because she didn't know how else to get mum out of the situation of this shitty childhood because whenever my grandmother stood up for my mum, she would also get beat. So it, it was an escape definitely for mum to marry my dad at such a young age. So it's no wonder that they divorced because it wasn't the right situation for them to create a long lasting relationship. I mean, they were married for 20 years and they did a good job at 20 years, but I think there comes a time when there's self-awareness and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not happy. And this marriage isn't, isn't doing it for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess when you're 19 anyway, it's a very, it's a very young marriage as well. You change a lot in five or 10 or 20 years, don't you? <laughs> From when you're 19. So I guess it's, um, it's, it's not usual that it, it would last that long from that age. So as you're getting older towards sort of the start of your teens, what's your relationship by this stage with your mum? Still the same. Going into high school, I went to a public primary school and I was being pushed to go to, a, to the local private high school. I didn't know any of my friends that were going to that high school and I was very much against going because I didn't know anyone and then going into grade eight at 13 years old you're just you're terrified and all of my friends went on to the local public high schools and the reason why I was told that I had to go to a private high school was that because I had to learn discipline I had to learn how to be disciplined by going into a private high school. So I, I didn't know what that meant at the time. I just took it on board that obviously this means I'm a bad kid and I need to go to a private high school so that they can teach me how to be a good kid. Wow, that's a hard message, isn't it, to have to deal Definitely. with? Definitely. It, it made me feel like she just couldn't be bothered and we're shipping you off and it's either this or boarding school. So you either go to here or you go to a boarding school where we don't have to deal with you. Wow. So how did you find the school? Actually, I mean, how, did you, how did you deal with it? Yeah. I, love, I loved it. Oh, did <laughs> I loved you? it. I did. Um, the, you know, the first year was difficult. You're trying to find your group, you know, your, your people. And as it turns out, the first day I'm there, I actually do know a couple of people from my primary school that went there. They weren't in my class. And I didn't necessarily hang out with them so much in primary school but they were there so there was some familiarity there I remember going into class with one of the one of the girls that I've been friends with since I was a child and I remember coming thinking yes we're going to be best friends 
because we already know each other and this is just going to be fabulous and I'm gonna, she's going to be my best friend. And she finds a new group of friends on the first day and I'm like, oh my God, what about me? So I remember being devastated actually and going home and telling mum, I, I, I thought I, would, I was going to have you know, a great group of best friends on the first day, or even with this person that I was going to have this wonderful relationship with it because we knew each other. Like we already, we already knew each other. So why? And she didn't have an answer for me. And I just remember feeling so down about it and resentful. And then there was always sort of in my mind, always sort of felt like this competition with her at school so it was uh yeah it was it was very weird but at the same time i found a group of friends and it wasn't just one group of friends throughout the entire high school that i was friends with i did have a, a small group of really close friends but i was friendly with everybody but there were certainly some people that i were more friendly with i mean there were incidences of bullying and stuff and even though i was part of that group i wasn't bullied as much as the other kids in my group were which was sort of good but also bad at the same time because again I felt like in a weird perverse way that I was being singled out so it was just a very awkward hormonal <laughs> transition yeah. yeah well high school is just such a weird time isn't it there's so much going on in in our heads and in everybody else's heads and it all just comes into this sort of melting pot of emotion i think it's absolutely just not, it's just not an easy time is it so when you're around this age you mentioned that your mum would speak about you differently outside of the house to inside of your home can you yes. tell us Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So mum, private high school that I went to, you know, was very much a status thing. Uh, my kids go to a private high school. They go to the private school, you know, and it was very much a one-upman type conversation that she'd have, which is good for her, I guess, if, you know, if, if that's what she needed to feel important because they were able to afford to send us to a, to this school. But indoors and at home was a completely different story it was you know she would say to outside people all the time oh my kids are no angels but they're good kids uh you know I, you know they're so smart they're i i did quite well in in my language courses that i did so japanese and, and french and i and i was i was pretty good at that and you know she'd be so proud and we'd have family over and it would be oh read out your latest homework in japanese you know that sort of showing off thing which sort of made me feel good at the time but then afterwards it was very much uninterested in what else it was that we did or our achievements and i did find myself embellishing a lot of stuff that would go on at school like oh i came fourth in a sports race when i didn't even participate because i was looking for that sort of approval you know that you know she i would feel when she would tell other people but there wasn't very much of that going on inside so I, it felt very superficial yeah and how did that affect you, do you think? Did it take away your confidence or what, what did it do for you long term, do you think? Definitely. I think it took away a lot of my confidence 
but it also shaped me to be very overachieving. I've been doing a lot of work on myself and, you know, have realized recently that I put on a persona sometimes that I am very capable of doing what needs to be done so that I'm seen as someone who is capable. So if I'm looking for a job, for example, especially when I was job seeking outside of when I finished high school, it was like, okay, now I need to put on this, this uh, persona of that I'm very capable of doing whatever the job needs to be done so that I can be employed and I'm not seen as lazy or a freeloader, which, you know, I, I was made to feel like a lot of the time. I wasn't ever allowed to get a job in high school. It was very much, my kids will never work at a fast food joint and uh, they need to focus on their studies. Finishing high school and looking for a job, they want somebody with experience and I had no experience. So it was, it was, uh, it was hard for me, actually. Yeah. So then did you still have a good relationship with your dad at that time? Yes and no. So uh, yes, actually, I wouldn't say no. Um, around sort of that time, dad uh, was still working away a lot and there wasn't much to do with him. He very much left a lot of the disciplinary stuff up to mum. Dad would come home. I do remember a few times I, I did some pretty but naughty stuff at school where I would like raid the stationary cupboard and take, take it home. And my mum found out and would say to me, wait until your father gets home and you can tell him exactly what you've done. And then I would tell dad and, and dad be like, what did you do? And I said, oh, I stole two Sharpies and a pack of watercolour pencils from the art storeroom. And dad goes, so? <laughs> and my mum, and my mum would just lose it at the dinner table. She would lose it. And my dad would be like, well, haven't you punished her enough already? So why, you know, and there was a lot of that. So I felt like I had an ally in my dad a lot when it came to, oh, well, if, if mum's going to threaten me with dad, I know nothing's going to happen <laughs> sort of thing. So I guess that was... Uh, a bit of a realization point for me. It was like, okay, I think I've got dad on my side here where mum's not always going to be on my side sort of thing. Yes. I love that he was on your side and I love that he sort of knew that you'd already would have had a hard time anyway. So why would I need to come in and do extra stuff to make yeah. you feel bad? You know, I love that. Yes. Was there anybody else that you could talk to if you were not coping? There was a friend who would see the differences in, in the way that my mum treated me and my brother. And there was one time I, I believe it was something really trivial. And I think my brother, we had to ask before we could go to the fridge or the pantry for food or drinks. So my brother said, mum, can I get a glass of lemonade? And mum goes, yeah, of course, sure. And I'd say, oh, mum, can I have a glass of lemonade? And she'd be like, no. And I'd be like, why? Don't talk back to me. Go back to your room. Go to your room. So it was always go to your room. And I remember going to my room and being so upset, thinking, why 
does my brother get lemonade and I don't? And a friend was over at the time and she said to my mum, what? what what's going on here why can't she have a glass of lemonade and mum said because i said so and i don't want her to so i was i i just couldn't understand the injustice of it so i was so upset and crying in my bedroom and and she came the friend came into my room and and said you know are you okay and i I was so mad get out of my room and you know and then she she'd try and stay and try and talk to me and I'm like I don't want to talk to anyone you know and then she'd go to leave and I'd be like wait so <laughs> then I sat there and I said to her and I said look I I know it's stupid it's just lemonade I know it's just lemonade but why is it that he gets the things and I'm not allowed to have the things. So, and I think I was probably about 10 or 11 at that stage. So I could, I could definitely see that there was, you know, a, a power balance there. And of course my brother reveled in it. He was, he was just like, well, I'm the baby. I can do whatever I want. And, you know, there was never any blame on him, but it was very much, I would ask mum. So she would say, oh, do the dishes or go and do the laundry or clean, clean the lounge room, mop the floor. And I was only young. I was probably about 11, 10 or 11, around that age still. And I'd say, well, why can't my brother, like, why can't he do it? Why can't he help? Oh, he'll, he'll only get in the way, you know? And it was always the excuse. He'll only get in the way and just, you know, I need it done now sort of thing. So it was kind of, I'd see that and it'd just be like, well, this is unfair. He can just go and play with his toys and I've got to do chores. Like, what? you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was hard for me to come to terms with the fact that, you know, at that age, you're thinking equal. So you get something, your brother gets exactly half. You know, you were that kid that if you had to share a chocolate bar, you'd like make sure it was exactly in the center. So you both would get exactly the same amount. And that sort of blatant injustice really made me angry and I'm sure my behavior I don't remember exactly what I've done but I'm sure that didn't help the situation yeah I I get that but also I guess apart from the fact that you you're getting treated that way it also means that you would never have really had a relationship with your mum where you could ever speak to her about anything or you really missed out on that whole relationship of communication and connection uh, with your mum right that's right and it, any conversation that I had with her was very critical it was very superficial it was she was very narrow-minded in regards to what a woman's role should be based on her own expectations of what sort of wife she should be I remember we watched a news story about an actor and an actress I can't even remember who it was but he cheated on her and you know it's just a classic story and she turned around to me and I said oh that's really sad that why you know why would you cheat with somebody you know why wouldn't you just leave the relationship and she goes well if she gave him what he wanted then maybe he wouldn't have cheated and then I remember thinking that doesn't that doesn't sound right to me and I remember going what like I never, I never dared say anything like that out loud or try and con contradict her in any way. But I do remember thinking, I don't, I don't think that's right. So there was a lot of her expectations on, on what a, a wife should be or how a woman should be. And, and my expectations were, were completely different. And I found that 
that was probably about eight or nine. So probably around that age, I started to see myself as sort of like a separate identity to, to how she thought. And then from then on, I started to notice that I definitely think differently to her and in all of these sorts of things. Well, that's interesting because a lot of people in that situation just take on the beliefs and the same attitudes as a parent, don't they? So you must have had a strength there to be able to step back and say, actually, that's not who I am. That's who you are. And I don't believe those things. Yeah, I, um, I definitely credit a lot of that to us. We lived in Queensland. So I was born in Queensland. We'd lived here my whole life. So we were away a lot from the family drama down in Melbourne. And it just seemed to me like if we lived in Melbourne, like I would have had a completely different upbringing and not necessarily good. I feel like perhaps my way of thinking and my upbringing would be very similar to mum's and not in regards to the abuse, but sort of the way that everything was sort of indoctrinated throughout the family on how things should be. What would people think about us if we do this? And so my dad is originally from Queensland and he's a typical laid back Queenslander. So I feel like I got a lot of those strengths from him. I've had the ability to not catastrophize everything and just sit back a little bit and have a look at the bigger picture. Absolutely. And I think instead of like when you're in a, a big family dynamic, you're probably taking on everybody's stuff as well. At least you only just had, had your mum mainly. So it probably yes. gave you something a little bit clearer to work with. Have you looked into the whole mother wound? Can you talk to us about that? You know, it's it more like generational wounds that are, that are passed down basically from your mother and from their mother and from their mother. I feel like I've done a lot of my own reconciliation around why my mother was the way that she was. And I've managed to move on from that and really have empathy and feel for her and, you know, in a way, her not knowing any better, but also her choice for not getting the help that she, that I felt that she possibly needed. She's passed away now, but I, I think I've grieved for her childhood and, um, you know, for her, the way that she was brought up. And um, I've really reconciled with the fact that she's done the best that she could. And to be quite honest, she didn't do a bad job, really. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I love that you said that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
So your parents divorced, what age were you when they divorced? 17, so I was going into my final year of high school. And was that a traumatic experience? No, it was, uh, it was very traumatic actually, because we had no idea that it was happening. It was those family secrets again. My parents would never fight in front of us. They would never, like they would have arguments and we would just think that this is normal, but it never got to the to the point where it was like, oh, why don't you guys just get a divorce already? Like they, I remember mum picking my brother and up from school and saying, do you guys want McDonald's? And we're like, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, cause this never <laughs> happens. What's going on? And she said, I'm moving out this weekend and I'm moving into our old house. And I'm like, why? And I just remember being shell shocked and her trying to explain it to me, but me not understanding why. And to be quite honest, no one in our family knows why they got divorced. We don't know if it was because of an affair. We don't know, we don't know anything. All I know is that my mother was unhappy and she moved out. And we don't know if there was anything particularly that caused it or whether it was just a accumulation of things and one day she was just like I'm done so did you go with her or did you stay with your dad no so uh, we had a choice and uh, who we wanted to stay with and I said oh I'm staying with dad because I know that dad's on my side and I only fight with you but I did say to my brother I think you should go with mum because I think mum needs someone and my brother said my brother was 13 and he said no I'm staying with you So we both stayed with my dad and my mum moved out and she did say to me, oh, that, you know, I regret, I regret giving you kids to your father. There were, they were both hurt. Mum and dad were both hurt extremely by the divorce. And from what mum said, like there was a lot of he said, she said stuff that went on and there was a lot of slander to us about what kind of people they are. Uh, My brother and I tend to not take that much on board, but you know, my mother would say, oh, your father said that if we went with you, he, he wouldn't pay for your school fees. He knows I can't afford it because I'm not working. I think there was a lot of stories that she had to tell herself to justify why she gave us a choice or why she moved out. She lost a lot of friends that, you know, that they had together. And every single one of them have said, we just, we just didn't agree with the way that she abandoned you guys. And I, you know, I was only young when I heard that. And I said, well, we went with that. Like she didn't abandon us. We left her. So, you know, it was very much, it was very black or white in my mind. And whenever I, tried to talk to her about it. So why are you unhappy? Why? Like what? Oh, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't understand, you know? And there were a lot of stories told when you, your father used to call me stupid. And, you know, if you're told that enough times, you tend to believe it. And and when I think back and I'm like, yeah, I guess there were times that he would be exasperated with her with things, but at the same time, like, I, I don't know if that's my own personal bias of, of my dad, but I never thought that that was, that was something that was meant. People say things all the time in relationships and it's not necessarily meant to hurt, but it, it may be said out of frustration. But I'm not sure if that was something that was ever, it seemed to me like perhaps that was never communicated with, you know, I really don't like it when you, when you say this to me or 
or whatever, you know, there, was, there wasn't really any communication, I don't feel. And I feel like essentially at the end, it was a communication breakdown. And that's why, that's why they decided not to be together anymore, you know? Yeah. And when you went to stay with your dad and your mum wasn't around, was it a bit like having a weight lifted off your shoulders? It must have been a different day for you every day it was amazing I my dad the so they divorced they separated in February and my 17th birthday was in April and uh, my dad said I am throwing you a party and I'm like what and he's like yeah he goes you never had a proper party he goes but he goes I'm going to get some alcohol I'm going to I want you to invite your whole grade 12 cohort we're having it at home there's going to be music. There's going to be fun. I'm throwing you a party. And I thought all my Christmases had come at once. It was amazing. My dad never really, he's not an emotional type of guy. He's not a very wordy type of guy. Like he's very strong and silent, but that was like, wow. He called every parent and said, look, I'm having a party for my daughter there will be alcohol involved. If you would like to come and supervise, you're more than welcome. The more parents here, the better. If you don't want your kid to partake, I will make sure that they don't drink. Like he was very hands-on and it was the best night of my life. It was the oh. best night. He bought me a digital <laughs> camera and it was just amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's so awesome. That's so good. good. What a great memory just to say, this is what my dad did for me. I just, that makes me so emotional. That's gorgeous. (laughs) So gorgeous. And then, so did your mum or your dad end up remarrying? So my mum remarried. So soon after she separated from my dad, she met somebody and I I didn't talk to my mum for a good few years after her and dad separated. It was very much a way of me retaliating in all the ways that she hurt me. I know she wanted to try and have a relationship with me, but I was still very much hurt from all of the years that we were together so it was my choice to sort of not have a relationship with her and I know that hurt her but I felt like I was being vindicated by doing that this was my own sort of rebellion and my own retaliation on her like I don't want anything to do with you you've hurt me so bad so the day she got married I wasn't my brother and I weren't invited to the wedding and that hurt me even though I wasn't really talking to her. And she said, well, I didn't think you wanted to come. And I remember going, it doesn't matter if you didn't think I wanted to come, I'm your daughter. Um, And still feeling very like, here's another way that you've just excluded me. But I called her, I did have a, a bit of time to come to terms with it. And I called her on her wedding day and I said, look, I'm really sorry. I've realized that if you weren't happy with dad and you're happy with your new husband, then who am I to tell you that you're not allowed to be happy? So, and she cried and, and said, thank you very much for saying that. And, you know, I, I feel like that was my way of trying to fix the relationship between us. Yeah. And did, yeah. You, did you have a relationship after that? Yeah, like it was slow going, but especially once I reached my 20s, I grew up a little bit, I guess. And there was times where we were great and there's times where we weren't. And I remember moving, they, 
were living down the coast and they needed help with rent. So I rented a room from them and I lived with them for probably about six to eight months. And it was good. Uh, it was also weird. Um, a lot of, we got into a fight once about something. I think I got my groceries delivered and I think I was like three bucks short and I didn't get paid until later that night, but they needed payment at the door. And I said to mum, oh my gosh, do you mind if I just borrow your card and I'll just pay you back? Like I'll, I'll transfer the money over. And then when I get paid again tonight, I'll just transfer you back the three bucks that I'm short. And we got into this massive argument because she was like, why have, didn't you budget for your groceries and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't understand. I said, I think my insurance, my car insurance came out and I, I was just short three bucks. The, the premium went up and I didn't realize, like I had a legitimate explanation and we are screaming at each other. Like when we were, ki when I was a kid, it just brought back all of those memories for me. And I couldn't stop myself in the moment. And I was crying with frustration I was so mad and she's screaming at me and I'm screaming at her and it was just like what is going on and she then said oh I'm I misunderstood I thought you were short the entire amount not three dollars and I'm like what <laughs> So I, I was just like, what? Like, I, had, I told you. Did you, like, just automatically jump to your own conclusions and, you know, and think that I was irresponsible? I've been working hard. I'm a hard worker. I just, there was just one mistake. So anyway, that was sort of resolved. But I, I felt very shaken up about, I thought we passed the, that sort of, time in our life. I thought that we'd passed it and we were mature adults, but it wasn't something that we'd actually come to terms with. There was one point there in my, in my childhood where I remember saying to her, I was only young, and I said, you know, I know that my brother is your favourite. And she turned around and said to me, yes, he is. Um, he is my favourite. And I remember feeling so hurt by that. And I think after the screaming incident, it was Mother's Day and a month later and my brother and I got her this beautiful present and we sat in the lounge room and she unopened it and she said, oh, it's beautiful. And we, we had a semi-superficial conversation. There were, I, I wanted it to be more deep to acknowledge some of the things, but I felt like again then on Mother's Day, it wasn't the right time to do it. So I freaked out. But I did say to her, I remember one time you told me that, you know, Mark, my brother, was, was your favourite. And she says, I don't remember saying that at all. And I'm like, well, you did. And I was very much, I feel like there was an opportunity her, for her to acknowledge that and say, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, but it didn't happen. So therefore I felt like I don't want to have this conversation where I'm unloading all of this grief and to make her feel bad because the last thing I wanted to do was to make her feel bad, but I did want to feel validated at the same time. Like, okay, you're feeling these feelings. It's okay. I'm sorry if I, you know, that I did that to you or made you feel that way. It was very much, she was still the victim. Oh, I don't remember saying that. And mm. it completely invalidated everything that I felt. Yes. It's just acknowledgement, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you just want to, you just want acknowledgement and, 
you know, it's not, you, you feel like it's not an awful lot to ask, but then when someone says, oh, I don't remember it, it just invalidates everything. It's like, oh, well, that, I don't know about that. But yeah, I don't exactly. know. That's, it's a really hard thing to hear, I think. Yes, we, I think we sometimes we just want something from people and they can't actually give it to us and that's hard. And that was a very hard lesson for me to learn. So your mum passed away, didn't she, at some point? Yes. So after I moved back out with her, uh, moved out and I got my own place, I had a boyfriend and we weren't good together at all. We were both in, I was looking for love he was looking for love. He had his own issues and we weren't good together. But my little bit of rebellion was to stay with him to, to, you know, annoy her until I figured out that we weren't good together. So once I moved out, our relationship had grown. We'd actually become really close. And I felt like I had to overlook a lot of the issues that we had so that I could have this relationship with her. So there was a lot of a lot of issues that I've just, I swept under the rug just for the sake of having a good relationship with her. So there were times where I would call her every single day. Like I, all the way up to the end, I called her every single day. We had a fantastic relationship. Once I let go of those things, it, I didn't deal with them. I just pushed them aside to make room for this. And it honestly, it was the best thing I ever did because I did realize that I'm not going to be able to get from her what I need from her. So that's something I have to deal with at another time. Unfortunately, um, she passed away when I was, when I turned 30 and she had uh, liver cancer and it took her quite quickly. So uh, she got the diagnosis and then six weeks later she was dead. So there was really, um, it was really difficult to come to terms with that, to get any closure, to really sit down and have a conversation with her and get it all out. Um, I never got to have that chance. She'd moved back to Melbourne by that stage. So we were apart, but I, I didn't grieve. I was too busy looking after my brother and my auntie and everyone else who wasn't coping. My grandmother, like it, it, the whole family was devastated. And I felt like I had to be the one to keep it together for everybody. Um, and there was a point at her funeral where one of my nonna's friends came up and I was putting on a brave face for everyone. There were family members that I hadn't seen for years and put on, a, I was putting on a brave face and, you know, thanks everyone for coming. And my nonna's friend comes up to me and very condescendingly grabs me by the hand and goes, Bianca, your mother just died. Aren't you upset? And I'm like, and I remember just being in shock and like, I, I was just numb, completely numb. And I said, Oh, of course I'm upset. Of course I'm upset. You know, the, the, you know, but uh, I can't lose it in front of everyone. Like I had this, overwhelming feeling of just keeping it together and uh, my brother I, I said the eulogy and my brother and there was a little bit there where I sort of broke down a little bit and um, afterwards she came back up to me and said oh I'm very sorry I said that I can see you're very upset about losing your mother and I'm like is this like the Italian way like is this what I have to deal with like the way that they can't say their words properly like I are they meaning that or is are they meaning something very sincere and it just didn't come across like I'm <laughs> I just I just felt very confused and very up, upset that someone would say that to me because I, I wasn't grieving the way that they expected me to grieve yes you know? yeah and it's very typical of the older generation I think a lot of times they have a very set idea on 
how everybody should be yes. behaving. And But to say that to somebody at their own mother's funeral, it's just so, oh, my gosh. <laughs> just a little. It's like, why? Why would you say that? Yeah. My, that. my grandmother had this thing my whole life, you know. Um, she's Italian. She speaks English very well, has a really thick accent. And, and she would say, I only want to be proud of you. I only want to be proud of you. I only want to be proud. This was like my whole life until one day after I'd gotten married and had a baby, she said that to me, I only want to be proud of you, you know? And I said, aren't you like, aren't you, isn't it time now? Aren't you? And she says, well, yes, yes, I am. And I'm like, so say that, don't tell me that you only like, I haven't made you proud yet. I think yes. I, I took a lot of that on as well. You know, um, I, I haven't done anything to be proud worthy. To, you yeah. know, for people to be proud of me yet, you know, like it, that was yeah. very much a, a sticking point with me as well. I haven't made anyone proud until I've got a good job. I can f support myself financially. I have a husband and I've got a kid and I've got a house. <laughs> you know, yes. so, and it's yeah. just so much conditional love, isn't it? We, we absolutely we love you when you get there and you never... You never get there because they're still not acknowledging anything. It's just that's right. It's a lot to deal with, isn't it? Absolutely. So, how did you cope after your mum died? Yeah, um, I threw myself into. I was a personal trainer at the time. Threw myself into my work. Um, I struggled a lot, and I didn't grieve probably for about twelve months until I. Um, I quit the gym because I just couldn't handle the volatility of the clients and the hours and just the money that was coming in. I just couldn't support myself. So I decided, well, to make more money, I'm going to study nutrition. So I signed up to the local college and, and uh, was getting my advanced diploma of nutritional medicine. And it was quite by fate that, that it was that particular course that I enrolled into because I thought I was just doing nutrition to supplement personal training, not understanding that you've got sports nutrition for athletes and then you've got nutritional medicine, which helps, which helps with dis-ease in the body or illness in the body, which can be, you know, rectified with supplements and diets and different types of foods and, and things. And it was actually quite funny that through that, diploma that I sort of got a bit of closure on what happened with my mum in regards to her illness so the doctors didn't give us any information why it had happened how it happened so quickly we didn't know the biomechanics of it so she had a tumor in her bile duct no one said to us if your bile duct is blocked then you cannot expel bile therefore it stays in the body and poisons you from the inside out and that's pretty much what happened with her. She, she got high levels of blood toxicity because they weren't able to operate to get rid of this tumour and the, the cancer had spread to her liver and lungs. So the fact that she had gone so quickly was because of this, this blockage in the bile duct. And it wasn't until I was actually learning about the liver and gallbladder and, and cancer and different illnesses that can affect that that I was like oh, so that's what happened. Like, I understand now. And I got a lot of relief and a lot of closure. Like, 
I felt like, well, maybe if I'd seen the sign sooner, like I could have helped and told her to go to the doctor. And like everyone gets all this grief and this guilt, right? That they feel like that they should have done something and they should have seen it. So I was very much carrying a lot of that guilt myself. And it wasn't until like I, I did that particular class and we covered that particular subject on that day that I was like, oh, there, there actually wasn't anything I could do. And then I think that sort of opened the floodgates. After that, I felt like I was very depressed. I um, didn't want to get out of bed. I was living alone at that time. I didn't really have anyone to check on me. My friends that I thought were there for me weren't there for me. I felt very much alone. I did have one friend who would help me get out and about and her mother had passed away when she was young. So she had an idea of what I was going through, but then at the same time, every situation's different. So I felt still felt like I was in a lot of shock and I was still reeling from that. Um, I went to the doctor and said, look, I think I need to see somebody. I'm not sure. They put me onto a local psychologist and didn't work. Like we didn't click. There was, I was very happy to tell her everything, but I just feel like the feedback that I was getting back, it, it sort of just went through one ear and out the other. Perhaps I wasn't ready to hear it. Um, so she passed away in the August and the following February, I met my partner who's now my husband. And I think a lot of that just felt like happy again. Like I felt someone, I felt like he accepted me for who I was, even though I was this broken mess of a person who had just lost her mum and had no sort of self sense of self-worth. There was some self-worth there, but a lot of that was that persona again to make me look like I was a capable human being, but inside I was just this mess, you know, and it wasn't until I finished my advanced diploma and I said, I still need to know more information. If I'm going to be a personal trainer and nutritionist, I need more education. So I signed up to do the degree. And on my first day there, I met my lecturer who actually turns out to be an amazing life coach. And she has her master's in counseling and she has been pretty much my guiding light from that day onwards. She's still very much a part of my life. And I had some personal coaching with her and we were able to really unlock a lot of these feelings that I had and these feelings of resentment, feelings where we, I felt like she didn't love me and she didn't care. Um, and there was just one scenario I said to her, you know, my dad would let me do whatever I wanted. So if I wanted to go out on a school night, he would let me go, but he would say to me, you need to be ready by seven o'clock in the morning to go to school. So he put that sort of responsibility on me. And sometimes I, I was home and sometimes I wasn't. And I said, look, I, I get the feeling. It's like dad didn't really care what I did. And she turned around and she said, oh, that's really interesting. You say that because if you feel like your dad didn't care, does that also make you think that maybe your mum cared too much? And I'm like, whoa, like that was the light bulb moment, right? Because we'd sort of knocked out all of the evidence that I thought that I had that she didn't love me at all. And it was actually, I could see that there was evidence that she loved me. There was evidence where she showed me she was proud of me and told me she was proud of me. There 
were times where she had my back and stuck up for me. Like when you're in such a state like that, you tend to block out all of the good stuff and hold on to all of the bad stuff. I remember saying after she passed away, I was so angry. And I remember saying, I don't remember anything good with her. I don't remember anything that we did. Like I, I, I can't tell you one good time that I had with her. And then once I was forced to sit there and write out 50 examples on all areas of my life, it was like, oh, I, I can actually remember that. And that one sentence, maybe your mother cared too much, was the light bulb moment where it was like, I can forgive this woman for the way that I was treated because I have empathy for who she was as a person. And I think oh. that at the end of the day, it's, it's empathy and you, you need to be very secure and have a lot of self-love within yourself to be able to see that in other people. Yes. Yes, I love that. I love, and I love that you came to that realization. That's that's awesome. So, tell me about your dad, your relationship with him now. Yeah, um, it's funny. I I have a very codependent relationship with my dad. Still, I have my husband. He is wonderful. We have a child together, and um, my dad. We live maybe five minutes down the road from my dad, and ten minutes down the road from my brother. And my dad comes around every single day to see the baby. Not so much me, but I know that uh, <laughs> I know that that's just that's just how it is. It's our relationship. I know that he loves me and cares about me. It's it's been me and him for a long time. Um, and now he was so excited when we told him that we were having a girl. He was just over the moon. And while I was pregnant, he used to come every day just to check on me and, and the baby and make sure that, you know, I was okay. And now that the baby is born, he just dotes over her and I love it. And he is around every single day and twice on weekends. Oh. So my, my husband is like, oh, man, could there just be one weekend where we can just do something? And <laughs> can I just sleep in? No, no, you can't. Because my dad is here to see the baby and us. Oh, then I said, look, my husband's Canadian. And, um, you know, at some point we're thinking of moving back to Canada to be with his family. And I said, what are we going to do when we move and, and dad can't come every day? You know, he's going to miss out on a lot of her stuff. So I would rather at least one, one grandparent or one set of grandparents to be able to see her development and, you know, be there for her. I want her to feel loved. I'd never had my grandparents around me. They either lived in far North Queensland or in Melbourne. So we, I didn't grow up with the, with the grandparent dynamic. And my husband's grandparents died when he was young. So he didn't really have a lot of that either. So I, and me coming from an Italian family where family is very close and we are all up in each other's business. Like that's very important to me that she and my dad have a really good relationship. Yeah. And I love that he comes twice on weekends. That's so awesome. I love it. I mean, it's like, it's just so much love. It's so much love and you, yes. you can't, you can't deny that. That's just awesome. So tell me, what do you think, or how do you think your childhood has impacted your life? Yeah, look, I, I feel like now as a mother and a wife, like 
I have very much kept that sense of I don't need to take on the beliefs that my mother and grandmother and great-grandmother had before them. I can still very much be a decent person and have my own beliefs and the way that I do things. And I find that very apparent now as a mother. For a very long time, I didn't, I didn't want to have kids because I felt like there is no way I am going to be able to be a good parent because I don't know any different. And it wasn't until I met my husband and he was like, we're having kids or it's a deal breaker that I'm like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> I gotta have, okay. So I was, and then when I found out we had a girl, like I was terrified that I was going to repeat the same mistakes. And after talking with my friends about it who have kids, they're like, yeah, but you know now how not to be. So just don't be that way. And I'm like, oh, it's so easy. It's just a choice. And like, <laughs> as tried as that sounds, it actually is just a choice. So I feel like um, as I move through each stage in my life, my childhood has impacted me exactly how it was meant to. I, I definitely meant to have the childhood that I had and the experiences that I had because I wouldn't be who I am now. I wouldn't be the best mother that I can be now. I wouldn't be the best wife. And I wouldn't be able to help people throughout my own business and my own friend group if I, if I didn't have those experiences. I wouldn't be this beacon. I feel like I'm this beacon of empathy and I'm very good at seeing the different, the different side of things. And it's just, in my opinion, it's just good to have this, just this different perspective, yeah. you know? So, and, uh, you know, with my own daughter, I'm very much conscious of the things that I say to her. I'm very much conscious of the way that like, the way people talk to her. So it's not, we very much give her body autonomy. She's only one and a half. If she doesn't want to give you a hug, we don't push her to give you a hug. If she doesn't want to give you a kiss, we don't sit there and go, oh, well, now you're making me sad. You know, we don't ever, I'm very conscious of, of that. I'm also very conscious if people tell her that she's pretty or beautiful or gorgeous, I also say you are very smart and funny and kind. I think it's very important to instill in that as young as possible so that they don't grow up thinking that it's just their body that they're good for or their looks that they're good for, which, you know, um, we did touched on it, but that was very much my, the whole body shame is, was very much a big part of my life growing up. And, you know, we're Italian, so we've got big butts and big boobs, you know, and the, and the curves. And that was, we weren't size twos. So it, you know, that was very much a source of shame for me growing up. So I've had to sort of, you know, work through that myself. So I'm very conscious of her, you know, not taking that on. My dad will say, oh, look at your big punzel, which means your big belly, you know. She's got this cute little pot belly. And I said, don't say that to her. I don't want her growing up having issues over her belly, dad. She's only one and a half. Like, so, you know, it's, and, and you know, he looks at me funny as if to say, as if it's going to do anything. She's one and a half. But, you know, it's that, it's that constant reinforcement. You, you don't want her to grow up. I, I, my, one of my fears is that she comes home from school and says, mom, I think I'm fat. 
you know, like that's a horrible thing. And I, to be quite honest, I wouldn't know how to handle it, but I'm very much conscious of apologizing. If I find myself triggered by something like there's a mess and I find myself triggered by that. And I'm like, Oh, what have you done now? Like, you know, get a bit frustrated. I'm very conscious then to catch myself and be like, I'm really sorry. Mummy spoke to you that way. Like, She's only one and a half, but I think that if I start those habits now, it's going to allow me to continue doing that and not, it not just be a novelty that I'm going to forget, especially when she's older and she can understand and then take on a lot of those attitudes for herself. I really just want to instill in her the importance of empathy and compassion for people and really knowing that other people's hurts are not anything to do with her but it's just a trigger that has triggered some something else with someone else you know and it's and everyone has them and and you know and it, it doesn't make you a bad person it just makes you human yeah i love all of those things and it's really just creating new habits isn't it it's new habits yes. in the way that we do and say things and like you say the more that you say and do them then they become a new normal which is what we're trying to create in our families and ditching some of those old old cycles that don't serve any of us so you said that you did a fair bit of therapy are there any other mindfulness practices that you use to help you in your in your healing yeah definitely i i like to do yoga i'm very much a physical get it out sort of person so i do a lot of embodiment work where i listen to music and i'm sort of just moving my my feelings throughout my body. I really just like to make myself aware of what I'm feeling because there is a lot of numbness that comes with if you're feeling something for a very long time. It's very easy to just not acknowledge it as, as it is what it is. Oh, I'm feeling anger. Well, I'm always angry. That's just who I am. So I'm very conscious of, of feeling what it is that, that is that I'm feeling and getting it out. So listening to music and dancing and, and really just being conscious of acknowledging what it is I'm feeling. I always seem to feel better after that. Meditation. I love a good meditation session. I love a good yoga session. And like, I'm just really coming to terms with my spirituality as a, as a person. I, I find the more that I do this stuff, the more that I really just like myself. So, and I, I just feel like it opens me up for more healing and more empathy and more that I can show and teach people. Oh, that sounds amazing. I love that. And you're a, a coach now, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm a life coach. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about that and where can we yeah. find you as well? Yes. So I'm a life coach, does a little bit of everything, but at the moment I'm, I'm really just focusing on the self-love aspect in women and how they can find more self-love and self-compassion for themselves and more empathy for themselves by forgiving themselves for, for things that they may have done in the past or the way that they may have felt. There's a lot of guilt I find that women harbor and without it, being acknowledged and released, you know, that turns into a habit, which then turns into a personality trait, which just completely reshapes your entire personality. And I think 
you know, a lot of women need help in just forgiving themselves, just forgiveness and just knowing that, you know, a lot of things that people are products of their circumstances and their environments. So it, it's not that you are a bad person. I, I, I might be the eternal optimist in me, but I, I just don't think that people do bad things, but I think people are inherently good. And they're just, they are just a product of their environment and a product of their circumstance. They're reacting rather than reacting. So I, you know, I just really just would love to help women get back in touch with themselves as a person and really figure out who it is they are and, and what they can offer and what they can offer their family and their kids and their friends and just society as a whole. I love that. And where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook at Bianca Hurst Coaching and also Instagram, same thing, Bianca Hurst Coaching. And I also have a website, which is BiancaHurst.com. Oh, thank you so much, Bianca. I've absolutely loved hearing your story today. It's pulled at my heartstrings. And when you said it's exactly how it was meant to be, yeah, I think that's so wise because we all have this journey that we're going on and when we get through it and we see where we've come from and where we are now, I just love that whole journey that you've been on and where you are. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. No problem. Thank you so much for having me, Dawn. Thank you so much for being here. Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at mybigloveproject and please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way by hearing this episode? Please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it. These stories are so important. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.